0: I am opening my Bible to Luke chapter 12 because we have been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 12 as well. I could not wait to get to church today because today is the day that we've been talking about and we've been praying about. It is what Micah referred to earlier as Commitment Sunday and some of you are on the edge of your seat. You've been praying you've been looking forward to this day, you have prepared, you've written a check, you've come and you cannot wait for the next time you have an opportunity to give it. That's one group of people. And then there's this other group of people here today that uh, you're a little less prepared, maybe you're a little more spontaneous, and maybe you're not quite the planner that the other people are, and you're like, oh yeah, I've been hearing something about that. Did we get a letter in the mail this week, honey? Because I remember, is this the day that we're supposed to, oh yeah, okay. And then there's a third group of people in the room that have absolutely no idea what we're doing right now, and they have no idea what we're talking about. May I just talk to you for a minute, the people that um, have come in today? Um, You're our guest, and uh, this is a family gathering. So uh, this is kind of like you're at the family dinner table and we're doing family things here today And we're talking about the family money a little bit and uh, we want to encourage you to lean in and listen because if you're If you will watch carefully You will get to observe something at the end of the service. That's going to boggle your brain You are going to get to see a miracle Have you ever wanted to see a miracle? You're gonna see a miracle at the end of the service because this is what's gonna happen in about 45 minutes. You know, all those people that we talked about earlier, the family that I'm a part of, our family actually is a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners who are stingy with their money and we do not like to give it up. Uh, we don't. And yet the miracle is this. Jesus is going to separate us from our money, and we are going to give with an extravagant generosity. That's a miracle. Because of what's gonna happen in about 45 minutes, do you know what? The people that give are going to have a less extravagant Christmas, they're going to drive less extravagant cars. They're gonna live in less extravagant houses. They're probably not gonna be able to do all the housing projects that they've wanted to do. They're not gonna be as as well dressed as they would like to be maybe because they can't afford those clothes anymore because they gave it away. And we're not gonna be able to eat out as much because we consider something of greater value. Can I just ask you, what do you think produces that kind of extravagant generosity? Let me tell you what it is. The people that have been around here for long enough, they have had a front row seat to watching Jesus do a miracle in this church. When Jesus was around, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, he promised to do something even after he ascended back to his father. Do you know what it was? He promised to build his church, and we've been watching him build his church here for about a decade, and we remember when we had nothing. This church started from nothing. We had zero. We had no money. We had no people. We had no building, but you know what happened? The people that started coming began to give with extravagant generosity, and do you know what Jesus did? He multiplied it. And he began to multiply the people and he began to multiply the pastors and he began to multiply the churches that have been planted out of this church. Now, seven different churches with two more on the way um, as we have watched Jesus fulfilling his promise to build the church. And he's even multiplied our facility this this building that we're in now it was a gift in the third year of our existence it was a gift to us the gift that was given was about 16000 square feet and people gave radically and generously in the first building campaign it was called made for more and we were able to transform the 16000 square foot facility into a 20000 square foot facility and then we realized we we need some room to disciple our children and our youth and so we we expanded it from 20,000 feet, 20,000 20, square feet, to about 34,000 square feet. And then uh, just in the last few months, we've been able to open up a new administrative wing where your pastors and staff work diligently, where we pray, where we get ready to host you here on Sunday and disciple uh, you throughout the week. And now we've got over a 40,000 square foot facility. And you see what's going on on the other side of this wall. In just a few short months, it's going to be over 50 and maybe even 60,000 square feet. So what I'm saying is, We are seeing Jesus build his church. He's multiplied everything we're doing. And as people come, it has stressed the limitations of our facility. And so it puts us in a position as leaders to think, are we done? Should we prepare for more people? Most of us are sitting in seats that were paid for by somebody that got here before us. Aren't you grateful for those people that exercised faith and trusted? I don't think we're done. We we need to lean in, we need to prepare. And so now that we're at this season, we're thinking about the seats that are gonna go in there and the people that are gonna come and we're preparing for more. Now, the question I would ask you is this, especially if you're not a part of the family, what causes that kind of extravagant generosity? What does Jesus teach his followers to do that changes the way they view money and possessions? What is it that that causes the followers of Jesus to be the most extravagantly generous people on the planet. What, what it causes people to do what we're going to see do, done here in, at the end of the service? Well, we're going to see that here in um, Luke chapter 12, because Jesus is going to teach us something about generosity. He's going to teach us something about security, and he's going to teach us something about anxiety. Let me give it to you here. Anxiety is the roadblock of generosity. Let's begin reading in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse twenty. Two, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more. You're gonna see that word more about five times in this paragraph of scripture, and that's a great encouragement. Do you know that Jesus wants you to have more? more life than you currently have, but he's gotta change our thinking about the way we view life. Jesus says life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. What is the roadblock to generosity? You see, I am of the opinion that everybody in this room wants to be generous. I really believe that. Even if if that's hard for you, people that aren't generous, they actually want to be generous, they just have these roadblocks. And let me just make sure my suspicions are true. How many of you wish you could be and were more generous? Raise your hand if you would like to be known as more generous, you want to be more generous. Everybody wants that. So the question is, what's the roadblock between the generosity I have and being more generous? we would think, well, certainly it's stinginess. We're just stingy people. Um, That's not it. It must be greed, right? I don't think that's it either. Well, then it's selfishness. Uh, Certainly not selfishness. Do you know what Jesus says it is? We just read it. It's anxiety. What is this word anxiety? What's that all about? And I want you to understand, it's a roadblock. How many of you ever like, you know, put into Google Maps or something, you're on your way, your GPS, and you all need to get from here to there, where I am to where I want to be. And then Google Maps didn't know that the road was closed and there was a roadblock there. Have you ever had that horrible experience there? And then you get mad at at this free device and all the technology that is like, it's a first world problem, okay? So have you ever come up to a sign that looked like this? You ever been there? Yeah, it's like, I can't get to where I want to go because there's a roadblock. Listen, you can't get to where you want to go unless you remove the roadblock Of anxiety. This church can't get to where God wants it to go until we remove the roadblock of anxiety. Jesus identifies that in this passage of Scripture. What is this anxiety? He uses another word later that we're familiar with. It's the word called worry. Let me give you my best definition of the word anxiety or worry. Here it is. It's a nagging concern today. That chokes off a sense of security about tomorrow. A nagging concern. How many of you right now are thinking of something that's nagging at you? A heaviness, uh, an anxiety, a, a pressure, a heaviness that maybe even feels like it's choking you. You ever felt like that? You ever had an anxiety attack? I actually looked up the word worry in just the English dictionary. I was shocked to find the first definition of the word worry has to do with choking it's what a dog does when it clamps down on the neck of another animal. It is said to be worrying the other animal. I think I would be a little worried too if the jaws of an animal were clen- clenching my neck. Yeah, and so that's what worry does. It chokes us off. It gives us a sense, we don't. I, I'm, I don't have the freedom. I can't breathe. I, I can't do what I want to do. It's a roadblock. It chokes us. And notice it is something that we are concerned about tomorrow. Jesus said, do not worry about what you will eat. Future, what you will put on, future. Isn't that what we do? We grab a concern about something we have no control over and we drag it in today. And this sense that I am not secure in the future chokes off my freedom today. I did a little research on this word worry and anxiety. Do you know it's an epidemic in our culture? Uh, I read a report, The Medical News Today by Tim Newman, dated September the 5th, 2018. He says, in August of 2018, Barnes & Noble, the largest book retailer in the United States, announced a huge increase in the sale of books about anxiety about a 25% jump. He says, today, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults, almost one in five people. The American Psychiatric Association ran a poll on 1,000 US residents in 2017, and they found that nearly two-thirds were extremely or somewhat anxious about health, and safety for themselves and their families, and more than two-thirds were more anxious overall this year than last year. John Price, a former psychiatrist, writes, As a practicing clinician, I advise my anxious patients to avoid watching TV news. What do you see when you watch the TV news? He gives a list. Climate change, nuclear uh, apocalypse, Ebola, flesh-eating viruses, antibiotic resistance, ever-increasing economic inequality, fake news, and the list is endless. Isn't that interesting? As we sit in our climate-controlled environments, on our nice cushy couches, watching our high-definition, technologically-advanced, flat-screen television, We become anxious about what is going on in the world. Isn't that a little weird to you? He goes on and he says, um, guess who is most susceptible to anxiety disorders? They did a study involving 140,000 adults from 26 countries in the world. And they concluded anxiety disorder is especially common and impairing in, what would you think his words would be? underdeveloped countries, where poverty and violence and war, guess what they found? Anxiety is especially acute in high-income countries. And then, who in the high-income countries has the biggest issue with anxiety? They also noted that millennials were the most anxious generation. People that have terminal cancer, no. People that are losing their ability to function, old people, no. People that are losing their freedoms on fixed income, no. Do you know what they're saying? The richest, youngest, healthiest people with the most to look forward to and the most potential are those that are the most anxious. And if you run the study, guess who's the least generous? Same people, highest income, most potential, least generous, highest anxiety. What is that all about? Do you know the two greatest concerns of the first century disciples Jesus was speaking to here? He lists them for us. He says, do not be anxious about what you will eat and what you will wear because those were the two biggest worries that they would have something to eat and have something to wear. Listen, they ate to live. In our century, we live to eat. In their culture, they dressed for protection. In our culture, we dress for fashion. Nobody here today is is wondering if you're going to have something to eat today. You're worried about what you're going to eat. I wonder what I'm gonna pick on the menu of all the different options. What are the restaurants that we're gonna be able to go to if we go to the grocery store? What are the things that we're gonna get and the recipes and uh, put them all together? Listen, these people in the first century would look at us in this century and say to us, y'all are jacked up. You have more food than you can eat. You scrape it into your trash cans and down into your garbage disposals. You have so many clothes that periodically you just have to take a big bunch and take them to Goodwill or something so you can move in the next load. And do you know what they would say to us? Surely, you people have nothing to worry about. And we would argue with them, right? like oh you just you just don't know how hard it is to live in the 21st century i mean we've got to worry about our mortgages and we got to worry about paying for college tuition we got to worry about our school debt we got to worry about uh, the leaky roof we got to worry about the car that needs to be repaired we got to worry about whether or not I'm gonna get a raise we're going to worry about our family I'm worried about if I'm ever going to get married I'm going to be worried now that I am married am I'm going to stay married and now I'm worried about wondering why did I even get married and what and now I got kids or don't have kids I'm ever gonna have kids why did I have kids are the kids going to survive I'm worried about the kids now I'm worried about my health I'm worried about my aches and my pains, I'm worried about what's in the food, I'm worried about the pesticides I use, I worry about the culture, I'm worried about who's going to be president, I'm worried about if the president's going to get impeached, I'm worried if he doesn't get impeached, I'm worried about terrorism, I'm worried about war, I'm worried about Ebola, I'm worried about school shootings, I'm worried about persecution of Christians, I'm worried about racism, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. What if there was an antidote to your anxiety? What if it was possible to live like you had nothing to worry about? Let me ask it another way. What if you were to give like you had nothing to worry about? This is what I want you to do right now. I want you to put on your paper. You got a pen? I know you got a pen. We put one in your chair. So find something to write on. If you got nothing to write on, just use your husband's hand or something like that. Just write down your two greatest worries. Write them down right now. Resist the temptation to put your children first. I know half of the mothers were already putting the names of all of their children first. Just to think of something a little more personal here. What are you worried about? Things that affect you. What is that? It should come immediately to mind. What are you worried about? I'm pretty sure nobody put something to eat, something to wear. Those were first century issues. Our issues are different. What are you worried about? And what if there was an antidote to the anxiety you are experiencing over those two things? Listen, if you're not a Christ follower, this is worth becoming a Christ follower what if Jesus offered you something as an antidote to your worry? Good news, he does. You want to know what it is? Here it is. Security is the antidote to your anxiety. Notice it here in verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Do you know what the antidote is to anxiety? It's bird watching. Isn't that what Jesus says? How many of you believe you should obey everything you read in the Bible as soon as you read it? You think you should do that? All right, so this is what Jesus says. Consider the ravens. So I just want to pause for a minute. We just need to obey the Bible here for a minute. Let's just do that. Let's just consider the ravens. Don't you just feel the anxiety leaking out of your body right now? You're like... Bird watching? That's for old people (laughs) who have nothing to do with their time. They're not worried about anything. No. Do Do you know what Jesus is saying? Do you know why God created a raven? So you wouldn't worry. Just wrapping your head around the thought that they don't plant anything, they don't harvest anything They don't ever think about tomorrow. And yet somehow through the millennia, God feeds them. Why? Because God values what he creates. And then Jesus asked the question, don't you know that you are so much more valuable than a stupid bird? That's the antidote. Is understanding I am valued by God. That God is concerned about me. God is concerned about whatever you wrote on the list. And God provides everything that Raven needs. And if he provides for the raven, he will provide for you as well. He continues in verse 25. It says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life span? Now, that's a great question. Does everybody understand understand that anxiety doesn't add to the hours in your life, but anxiety can take hours off? How many of you have actually taken off hours of somebody else's life because they were worried about you, right? Right? You got a dear grandmother, you got a mom and a dad. They were so It's like, yeah, they're not gonna live as long as they should have because they had me, right? So that, that's what Jesus is saying, the obvious answer. You can't add anything to your life through worry. How's that working out for you? Is this solving anything for you? So then he says in verse 25, he says, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? I love this. Jesus identifies Adding an hour to your life as a small thing for him. That's a big thing for you, right? You understand? Things that seem big to you are small for Jesus. And it's in understanding and embracing his concern, his care, his power to take care of me in the future that removes the roadblock of anxiety for me today. And then he continues... He says in verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, so there was a king in the Old Testament, his name was Solomon, he had an incredible wardrobe. Everybody wanted to dress like him. It says, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive and in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? So he says, Consider the lilies. You ready? Once again, don't you just feel the anxiety just coming right off? Why did God create lilies? So you wouldn't be anxious in understanding. How beautiful is that? What an incredible designer! What an artist! And if he can beautifully clothe some grass, he can masterfully and beautifully provide for you too. Consider, contemplate, don't worry, consider that you are of so much more value than the other stuff that Jesus has created. Isn't that a beautiful thought? All right, he set you up because the next verse he's going to rebuke you. In verse 28, notice what it says. At the end of verse 28, it says, O you of little faith. Do you know what he's saying? You claim to have this great big God of this great big universe, but you have this itty-bitty faith in this great big God To take care of itty bitty you. Oh you of little faith. This is what Jesus is saying. You have little faith, you're gonna have much worry. You have much faith, you're gonna have little worry. And the same thing translates to the way that we give. He says, little faith creates little generosity, much faith creates much generosity. And then he tells us in verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Do you see the word seek there in verse 29? Don't seek it, don't, don't pursue it, don't chase it. Like a football player that's trying to make a last ditch effort to drag down the guy that's about to, screw. don't, don't pursue, don't chase. Don't try to drag it down, pull it to you. Because he knows that even if you caught it, it wouldn't produce the life you want. It's a roadblock to be anxious about those things. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world, in other words, everybody, it's a universal human condition to seek after things and be anxious and worried about them. For the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows you need them. You understand what he's saying? Your father doesn't discount that you have needs. He knows you need food. He he knows you need a place to live. He, He knows the spiritual condition of your children. He knows you have a mortgage. He knows you have a job. He knows you're underpaid if you are underpaid. He knows some of you are overpaid. He knows. So why are you worrying about it if you know the father knows you? What if every time you sensed worry rising up in your heart, you began to feel that choking sensation? What if you could hear your heavenly father whisper in your ear these words? I know. I know what you need. I know how to supply what you need. Don't worry. I got you. That is the antidote to worry, It is being secure in the heavenly Father's ability to provide for every need. So don't chase after the things that, are, that you put on your list. Don't chase them. There is something we're supposed to chase after. In verse 31, he says this. Instead, instead of chasing those things, chase these things. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What are these things? the things you put on your list. The father's concerned about what you put on your list. He's like, you, you want those things to be taken care of? Then you need to trust me to take care of them. What is he saying? He's saying this, I cannot enjoy God's kingdom today while I'm worried about my kingdom tomorrow. You, you build in your kingdom all the possessions, all the power, all the control, all the authority, all the influence, that's your kingdom and all the subjects that you want to come and bow down to you and your servants and all those different things, all your possessions, you worried about that? It's gonna be real hard for you to see and focus on and chase down the kingdom of God because you got clashing kingdoms. You're seeking after your kingdom and he's telling you, you should be seeking after mine. In the vernacular, you know what Jesus is saying? You worry about my kingdom, I'll worry about yours. Now, Jesus is not gonna sinfully worry. You don't have to worry about Jesus worrying, okay? But in our vernacular, we say, hey, if I would be more concerned about God's kingdom, Jesus would take care of mine. Understand, I do not need to worry about things I have no control over tomorrow. God wants me to use all of my mental and emotional energy chasing the kingdom of God, trusting him to take care of my own kingdom. Then look at verse 32. He says, "Fear not. Worry not, fear not, little flock." Don't you think a little flock of sheep running around in the desert with wolves and scary animals would have a few things to worry about? He calls us little sheep, but then he says, "Don't don't be afraid. Don't don't be afraid to own that title." I'm just a little sheep. I'm kind of defenseless. I really should have a lot to worry about. But fear not, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What is the fuel for my generosity? It is the fact that my father has given me far more than I deserve, far more than I need. And it releases the chokehold that anxiety has so I can be free to be extravagantly generous before the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How would you live today if you had nothing to worry about? Because Jesus is saying you have nothing to worry about. How would you give today if you had nothing to? To worry about because you have nothing to worry about. He actually answers that question in the next verse. Look at verse 33. He says three things sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old with treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So, do you see what he's saying? You got nothing to worry about. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourself money bags. Let's break those down. Have you ever sold a possession and given the money to God? Apparently, that's a regular practice for people that have nothing to worry about. Do you have some stuff you don't need? Do you have some stuff that's of value that could be used if liquidated for the expansion of God's kingdom, what if we really seek God's kingdom? Do we really need all the possessions we have? Or are the possessions just stuff we're worried about? Did the possessions create a roadblock to seeking God's kingdom? And then he says, give to the needy. You know, there's a lot of needs. There's limitless needs. Jesus said, the poor will always be among you. We'll never be able to meet all the needs in the world but we don't give to meet the need we give because we have a need to give it does something in our heart that cannot be done any other way it release, it releases the anxiety and the control that and the grip that money has on us so you should give to the church you should give to world missions. You should give to the poor. Those should be regular practices. And and even in your budget, you should have categories for those different things. Giving to the church kind of accomplishes those things because the church has different categories uh, for those things as well. And then he says something that's really crazy, okay? At at the risk of sounding uh, blasphemous, calling Jesus crazy, it doesn't compute with us. Here's what he says. He says, provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old. Now, let me just ask the ladies, how many of you have more than one purse? Just just admit it, just own it, just admit it. You got more than one. How many of you bought a purse in the last 12 months to, to replace a worn out old money bag? I mean, I, mean, these, I, under, I don't really understand, but I've been told these things, that there's a fashion consciousness and they have to match the shoes and, and there's a lot of different reasons to have more than one money bag. I understand that. But, but Jesus is saying this, you need to find a place where you can get a money bag that doesn't grow old. I'll just ask the ladies: Has anybody found a place where the where the money bag always is in style and it never wears out? The strap never breaks. The, the 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 leather never you know grows old and. and, and it's, Can you get that at Macy's? I don't know. Is that a place where you get money? Amazon Prime have those money bags that don't wear out. Now notice, this is a command. Jesus says, pursue money bags that never wear out. Where Where would you find a money bag that would never wear out, that would never grow old? There's only one place to get one of those. Where would that be? Heaven, where stuff never wears out, it never grows old. Now, 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 think about it. Jesus is telling you to get a bag because you're gonna need a bag to carry around what's on in, the inside of it. A money bag full of treasure. He says, you gotta get you one of those. You're gonna need one of those if you sell your possessions, seek his kingdom, and give to the needy, there's going to be a day where you're going to need a money bag to hold all the stuff that you're going to possess. Where? Treasure in heaven. What is he saying? He's telling us this. He's telling us that generosity is fueled by a focus on eternity. We get so focused on the money in our bank accounts and the money in our wallet and what our bills are and and retirement and college tuition and school loan debt and credit card debt and, and how much does that cost? And I'd like to have one of those and let me save up for that and I'd like to replace this. All of those things. He says, if you could focus on treasure in heaven, it would radically alter your generosity on earth because generosity is the way that you exchange earthly treasure for heavenly treasure. Let, let me put it this way. How many of you would consider yourselves native northerners? Raise your hand if you're a native northerners. How many of you think that people in the South are dumb? I just, I'm from the South, so be careful. Okay, so listen. Now listen, some of you, your greatest fear is that God would ever send you to the South. I understand that. But um, let's, let's just pretend for a few minutes, okay? Let's pretend the year is 1865. And you are a business person in the North, that needs to go spend a few months in the South. And so you go down to the South, and in order to do business and operate down there, in order to pay rent, and in order to you know afford transportation and food down there, you have to exchange some of your Northern currency for Confederate money. You have to make the exchange. So I just happen to have some Confederate money here. and. Um, In order to do business down there, you have to make the exchange. I don't know what the exchange rate would be, but you've you've got to get some of this. Because this is the only thing you can spend in the South. They don't take union currency. But what if you were tipped off that within just a couple of days, the Union army was going to invade the South, Atlanta would fall, and all of the Confederate money would immediately become worthless. If you knew that and you're smart, what would you do so that you could still be rich when the war was over? What would you do? You would exchange as much of your Confederate money as you could live without for the only thing that would have value in the future. You, you would keep some of the Confederate money because you still got to operate, you still got to do business, you still got to eat for a few days, right? What if we had the same mentality about treasure in heaven? What if we really understood we are citizens of his kingdom, we are not living in our homeland? We got to operate down here. We got to do business. You got to have some of this to buy food and and pay the rent and stuff like that. But as much as we possibly could, we would exchange it for that which would have value when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God, when the war is over. Question, based on how you've handled this world's money, are you going to need a money bag in heaven because you've exchanged earthly treasure into heavenly treasure? That's what Jesus is teaching. The roadblock to generosity is your anxiety over the earthly treasure. And he said, if you wanna be free from all that, you wanna be more generous, generosity is fueled by a focus on eternity. Look at the last verse here, verse 34. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for heaven? Do you know how you get a heart for God? You actually direct your money to go toward the kingdom of God. Um, the, the, simple, the, the, the point is clear. Jesus is saying, money leads, heart follows. You understand that? I, I, I was aware of a guy who um, went through a very bitter divorce and he was seeing a counselor, and as he was talking to his counselor, he expressed his anger and bitterness toward his former wife because every month he had to write an alimony check. The judge had ordered him to send part of his money to the woman that had hurt him so deeply. And he was bitter and angry about that, and he was asking the counselor, what do I do about that? You know what the counselor told him to do? You should give more than what is required of you because he knew the principle. Wherever his money went, his heart would follow. He'd lost his love, he'd he'd lost his heart for his wife, his former wife, and if he had any chance of being reconciled to her, at least dealing with the bitterness and the hatred in his heart, he understood the principle. Wherever your money goes, your heart follows. You wanna have more of a heart for God? Send your money to the things that God is doing in this world. You know how to deal with the anxiety? You sense the anxiety raising up? Look for where God is at work in this world and invest financially in it. That's what's getting ready to happen. I told you we're gonna see a miracle. You're gonna see some people that have a heart for God and a heart for this church, and it is no big deal, no anxiety to turn loose of what we could spend on our own comfort and our own false security to invest it in the things of God because we know where true security comes from. It's because our home is in heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom. That's why we have an extravagant generosity. You wanna deal with the anxiety? Do two things. Number one, every morning, get up, transfer the ownership of everything you have to God. It all belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna trust you. Today, I'm gonna spend my time worrying about your kingdom, trusting you're gonna worry about mine. I'm not gonna worry about mine no anxiety trusting you you know consider the ravens consider the lilies you feed them you clothe them you provide for them in beautiful ways you're going to do that for me i'm trusting that secondly invest in where you see the kingdom of god growing and if you've been around here any time at all you know that god has been doing incredible things in his kingdom in and through Gospel City Church and that's the reason why you're gonna see hundreds of people turn loose of treasure because we know that it's we're not losing it we're just storing it up we're gonna see that happen this is what I want you to I want you to take out that card right now that was on your seat just uh, look it over there and some of you you came prepared you're ready to put a check in there you've already got your card filled out that's great others of you you may have digitally done this through the week that's great but this is what I want to ask you to do everybody here today I want you to fill out that card. And I'm gonna give you some time just to consider what the Lord has said to you today. Um, A question that always comes up is, um, hey, you know, we were around 18 months ago when you launched the campaign and you told us it was a $7 million project and man, we had a heart for this church. We invested, we gave an immediate gift and we made a three-year pledge. And now I hear you talking about doing it again. So did did the first time not count? No, 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 listen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm asking you though, what, what has the Lord said to you now? I don't know what the Lord would tell you to do. Do whatever the Lord tells you to do. If you don't have a heart for this, please do not give. That's, that, that's dangerous actually to you. But if you have a heart, I wanna, I wanna ask you maybe to do what the Lord put on our heart and do what, do what the Lord tells you to do. Here's what he said to us. As a family, we got together and we're looking at what the Lord's doing in this church. We're so grateful we see God's, God's work. We looked at how the Lord had blessed us. Last year, 18 months ago, when we initially launched this campaign, February, March of 2018, this is what the Lord put on our heart. We gave the largest financial gift that we've ever given to the Lord's work, uh, we wrote the largest check and gratefully, joyfully invested in the Made for More project, and we made a 36-month pledge over the next 36 months to give monthly out of what the Lord would provide to us. So here we are, 18 months fast forward. Guess what the Lord's ask us to do? He asked us to do the exact same thing again. So, so we. We matched what we gave last year and wrote, again, the same check that we gave before. And we increased our pledge, even though we'd already fulfilled our 36-month pledge in 18 months, we, we pledged for another 12 months at a higher rate than we initially pledged before. That's what the Lord told us to do. I asked you five weeks ago to pray. What does God want us to do? Have you prayed? Have you looked to see how generous God has been to you? Has He blessed you? Has He prospered you? Are there some things that you could sell? Are there some things that you could give? Do you have a heart? Do you want treasure in heaven? Do what the Lord has asked you to do. I'm gonna be quiet here for a few minutes. Maybe you just need to talk to your spouse for a few minutes and just say, hey, did, did we decide? And maybe we need to, to do this. I've got this number. I got that number. We've learned the secret of like giving God the nod. So if Andrea's got a higher number than me, we go with hers. And um you just, maybe you need to talk about those things. Maybe you just need to bow your heads and surrender and say, Lord, I've been so anxious. I haven't even thought about your kingdom and thinking about mine. I'm gonna be quiet. You listen to the spirit of the Lord, whatever he prompts you to do. Put it on that card. In just a few minutes, we're gonna collect those cards.